I'm in Max, Max, Max. You are listening to Happy Jack's RPG Podcast. I'm in Max, 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 Pursuing the RPG hobby with reckless abandon. My hello. Welcome to Season 28, Episode 6 of Happy Jack's RPG Podcast. My name is Stu, and we forgot to come up with the order that people would introduce We did. We always do that every week. <laughs> My name is Bill. My name is Kimmy. My name is Mo. And I'm Stork. We have full house. Yeah, this is the most we've had on the cast in a long time. Yeah, remember when we used to have seven people, and the, the episodes would last two and a half hours, and we couldn't remember the last hour of them? Or like Good. three... For yeah, three was the and record? a half hours. Yeah. What was the record? Three and a half hours. I think yeah, so. at the three and three plus. Yeah. <laughs> cool. So, um, wow. m- congratulations, Mo, on your Kickstarter. I've been reading. Th- I've been reading through my my book. <clears throat> I, I'm enjoying it. Yeah. Oh, oh I got thanks. my I got my book. That was a long time ago. It, you got time. I now. guess it was. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it was a long time ago, wasn't it? I so long Mo forgot he had a Kickstarter. Did you hear him? Like, yes, what? Like, what? Did I have a Kickstarter? Oh, you're right. But the shipping yeah. is more recent, like having the book shipped and stuff. Yeah, I'm so recovered from that stress. <laughs> I'm not, so I'm happy for you. She's like, I haven't. No, I'm still emailing frantically with factories in China about cards, but everything's good. It's fine. I know that story. Oh. Well, thanks. I'm glad you're digging it, man. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. Awesome. It's very good. All right. Um, in this episode of Happy Jigs RPG Podcast, Dave in DC writes in about GM inspiration, and Andreas writes in about artificial gravity, bears, and other stuff. But first, if you'd like to email us, you can email us at happyjacksrpg at gmail.com. That's happyjacksrpg at gmail.com. If you'd like to find us on the social medias, go to happyjacksrpg. Happyjacksrpg. All one word on most of them. All the big ones. And uh, that's it. Who would like to read the first email, or should I read the first email? Emails are a little uh, long. We can split can them up. It. Or I can do half. almost like break them up. They're like uh-huh. marathons. They're big. They're big emails. You want to split them up? Yeah, why don't, you start, why don't you start, Mo, and tag in someone, like unexpectedly, to make sure we're all paying attention. Ooh, that's a good exactly. idea. Yes. Like Can you wow. tell I've been teaching online for like a year now? <laughs> someone in the room is a teacher. <laughs> that's, like playing, that's like playing bunny, bunny, bunny at prefab. Everybody go. All right. So, uh, all right. dear Those happy... Those who don't know, Bunny, Bunny, oh. Bunny is an improv game for actors that, like, you gets you to pay attention. Bunny, 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 Bunny. You, like, pass it around the circles. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Sorry, Mo. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> dear Happy Jack's crew, Dave in D.C. here. I hope this finds you all well and healthy. I wanted to discuss some ideas that were... that on where GMs can get ideas and inspirations for their games. I'm a firm believer in borrowing ideas and individual elements from a variety of sources, comics, TVs, movies, films, real life, and filing the serial numbers off and using these in my games. However, I think a mistake that many GMs make is when trying this is that they tend to borrow from ideas or stories which they believe are the best, so to speak, and don't change them enough with the result being a game that is too recognizable and its source material as its source material and often railroad in nature. Stereotypical example is the new DM running their first D&D campaign and having the group set off to destroy an evil wizard's ring by throwing it in the volcano it was forged in. Yes, Lord of the Rings is a classic fantasy story, but I think players catch on to it really quickly. Often the new GM uses an idea and doesn't change it up enough to make it surprising for their players. Kimmy. Uh, several years ago, I was failed. Uh, I was like reading ahead. <laughs> good idea there, Kimmy. <laughs> yeah, that was such a good idea. <laughs> several years ago, I played in a game at Origins Game Fair, where the GM did an excellent job of borrowing a plot idea, changing it up, and giving everyone a fun experience. The game was Star Trek, woohoo, and set in the next generation era, using a generic game, sy- game system, not one of the Star Trek specific rule sets. Uh, 
the game it involved a rescue mission at a small research station, which was threatened by severe electromagnetic thunderstorms, as well as a rival away team of Romulans. Unfortunately, uh, ultimately, the players discovered that severe thunderstorms were caused by Thor, the Norse god, who was angered that the Dark Elves, the Romulans, had dis- uh, disturbed his slumber. After Stop editing it while I'm reading it. <laughs> You already read it. I was fixing that. I changed it to be what I you know, read, so you just say you read it correctly later. <laughs> I'm fixing it behind you. The GM admitted he had simply taken the idea from the original Star Trek episode. Oh yes, he did. Uh, who mourns for Adonis? There was uh, where the one where the crew has discovered the Greek god Apollo and mashed it together with dark eld tropes from the second MC, uh, MCU Thor movie. I think it's clear that the Apollo Star Trek episode and the second MCU Thor movie are far from the best that either franchise has to offer. Yet, mashed together, those two mediocre stories made for Stork. A very rather enjoyable RPG <laughs> one-shot. I personally found this simple twist to do the original story to be fun enough that when friends asked me to run some RPG sessions over Zoom during our pandemic lockdowns, I decided on a Star Trek game using the lasers and feelings rule set for ease of play. And the initial story was this Thor story, borrowed from my convention experience a few years ago. Also, I think new GMs tend to borrow concepts wholesale, looking to use entire plot or storylines when I think it is perfectly fine to just borrow elements as needed. For example, one of my prior Savage World slash Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. convention games had the characters investigating the disappearance of a former agent who had some superpowers. At one point, they went to the missing agent's apartment to investigate. The characters knew that there was an undercover agent living in the apartment across the hall to keep tabs on the former agent. This is a very common story element in many spy shows and movies. It was even used in Captain America, the Winter Soldier. Steve's neighbor, who he believed was a nurse, was in fact Agent 13, Sharon Carter. When the players got to the apartment building, there was a dead undercover agent and Hydra agents were ransacking both apartments. Combat ensued, and the battle mat had the floor plan of her both apartments across the hall from one another. It wasn't until after the fight was over that one of my players looked closely at the map and asked, did we just have our fight in Penny and Leonard and Sheldon's apartments? Yes. I borrowed the floor plan from the apartments from the Big Bang Theory. But the apartments from Friends would have worked too, and if I hadn't been watching that show at the time, Bill... Any of my convention games can often have up to a dozen elements borrowed from many sources to come up with things that the core from the core plot to floor plans to NPCs or individual clues or even props. While sitting around channel surfing during our collective pandemic isolation, I realized that inspiration for any number of procedurals or crime mystery games is sitting right on basic cable. There are endless repeats of crime procedurals on the air. Just DVR a few, break out a notepad, and get ready to file off the serial numbers. I think any one-hour episode will easily give you the material for a four-hour game session. All the names, clues, relationships of the victims, perpetrators, and red herrings are all there on the screen. Need straight crime mysteries? Law and Order and NCIS are great to use. Need more of an espionage bent? The new Hawaii Five-0 or NCIS Los Angeles are probably your best bets. I would say Law & Order SVU may be better to avoid as the subject matter of sex crimes and crimes against children strays heavily into the X-card territory for some players. But Criminal Minds, although it primarily is dealing with serial killers, may be very adaptable for darker games. Maybe the serial killers are Cthulhu cultists. Anyway, just some ideas that inspiration for GMs can come from a variety of places, and it is often better to grab a few smaller elements and mash them together. Have a drink and keep up the gaming. Dave in D.C. Thank you. I totally agree with this and have done it myself. In fact, Dave and I, I think the last convention we did together with the GM together, I did Mission Impossible, and I stole a plot from the original Mission Impossible series and imported it wholesale into D&D. And like you said, you know, by the time you're done fiddling it and moving it into fantasy and all of that, you can't recognize the plot. Mm-hmm. And it worked great. And a lot of the sort of work was sort of done for me. It's like, here's the beginning, the middle, and end. Here's some of the clues you need. Here's the, all right, cool. My, my work is done. My work here is done. I just need to uh, sort of come up with some NPCs and uh, find a map. I think the big um, plot, I mean, uh, problem a lot of people have is they try to run the exact same story. And I think at best you can get people started, you know, um, and you really then have to play to find out. Um, I think you can use these tropes to get your players spun up 
And as soon as they're excited and having fun, you kind of just sit back and, you know, see how they resolve the problem. And um, if they pick the wrong killer, like, you know, if that's funner, then that's it. Mm-hmm. It'd be like Clue where you have multiple endings. Oh, oh yeah. I, I, I remember it. Uh, we got a review copy of a <clears throat> of a murder mystery where intentionally in the, the the adventure this guy wrote he didn't say who the murderer was it could have been any number of people and he just said this is how these this person would have done it this is how this person would have done it etc so he gave you like the like how they they would have done it or it, it, it you know at what point that would have, they would have killed the person but it's up to you to pick who it, who it is I think the the t- I I, rem- I I think the the one one of the things that that um, he he didn't specifically say but he was kind of implying is <clears throat> don't worry about genre because the story itself doesn't it depends but in a lot of cases the story doesn't rely on anything about the genre that it's in and cuz I I ran when I ran the my college GURPS fantasy game I was at home Saturday watching TV and, and it's like Saturday afternoon television is a wasteland of old reruns and it was it was like Rockford Files or hey, Rockford Files is the best. Columb- don't you be slamming Rockford Files, man. Or, or Columb- right. I don't remember which one it was. What's the one where the guy used to like walk away and go, "Oh, Another Columbo. thing, Columbo. 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 Might have been Columbo. I don't know, but I was watching an episode of that, and it was you know just a typical mystery murder mystery thing. And I'm like, oh, I didn't expect it to be that guy. And I'm like, okay, there's my. Uh, that's what I'm going to use. And then the next Friday, I ran a murder mystery, and that was the. I, I basically just changed all the names and changed who the characters were, and and ran it that way, and and. No one was the wiser. The, the 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 more you change it, and that and the and the more disparate the the genre is from from the material you're stealing, the harder it's going to be for people to notice. You could probably lift the whole exact Star Wars series or, or the first Star Wars film and put it in an, an entirely different genre, and no one would probably figure it out. It's not like this is an unknown thing. It's right. I mean, Seven Samurai and and. Uh um, the dirty, the magnificent dirty, seven. The, yeah, the magnificent seven are are, are the exact same movie. Um, how many times have we seen Romeo and Juliet in one form or another? You know, oh, it sure. happens all the time. And, uh, Ron is um, King Lear. Is it King, yeah, Lear? King Lear? Yeah. So I, I like those Emmy award winning RPG. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's really funny, right? Because if you look at where getting inspiration from things, so if you watch The Mandalorian, right, season mm-hmm. two, episode one, is a mission from Knights of the Old Republic. Mm-hmm. Oh, is it really? <laughs> it is. Because there's a quest in KOTOR where Revan, who's the hero player, is on Tatooine in the Dune Sea, luring out a crate dragon with banthas and then yeah. blowing it up with mines. And the reward is a crate dragon pearl. It's exactly the episode. They just wow. like all, hey, that's really and and that's the thing. Like when you watch Mandalorian, the mm-hmm. one reason it kind of works is this space western episodic thing is because it just feels like an RPG, right? He's like, what's your main what's your main quest? Well, I have to I have to you know I have this child I have to return the child. Then it's like all oh, side quest, side quest, side quest, side quest. Takes him like thirteen episodes, you know, eight episodes or something to do something. He could have done in one. Because he's just constantly side questing, you know, and, and it's just they, they grab that inspiration. So that's another interesting place to grab inspiration for your for your tabletop RPG is from video games too. Yeah. Well, and so do you pre- speak Bantha? Do you speak Bantha? <laughs> yes, I do. I do speak Bantha. It's right here on my sheet. <laughs> <laughs> that whole premise for Mandalorian is actually lifted whole cloth from a manga called Lone Wolf and Cub, where it's a mm-hmm. sort of samurai wandering with his kid. Yeah. So, again, these inspirations are just, you know, everybody borrows from everybody else. And, you know, now that we're bringing it up, you can start thinking, like, oh, yeah, it was. Oh, my God. Um, I don't think there's, you know, what what is that old quote? uh, Pros steal or amateurs borrow and pros steal? I think think that's it, yeah. I think, too, like, other than just taking ideas, like, uh, there's been a bunch of games that I've run where I saved so much prep time by stealing stuff that really existed like he was talking about the maps mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like there's a ton of con games and stuff where I've run in schools or 
you know, uh, office buildings and things like that. All that stuff is on the internet. You can get amazing maps and just, you know, download them and like MS paint, like over the names and like, Mm -hmm. or just, or if if you really want to just like white out over the names after you print them or whatever you want. Whiteout is a thing for people who like write like, with pens. By the that's way, good. really stupid. That, yeah. That's ancient uh, technology now. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, you know, I've done that so many times, and you know, you can get perfect little ones, and it's just fantastic, and it saves you tons of time and effort. They're free usually, other than like printing them out for when we used to game in person, and uh, yeah, it's just fantastic. So all those little knickknacks and. Um, uh, uh, accessories and stuff like that that you're adding to your game props some of them like they're out there somewhere just grab them and bring them in rather than spending that much more time on prep if that's not your jam you know and then you can put more time into stealing ideas for your like story i have a whole folder full of repurposed maps that i've acquired from various places all over Mm -hmm. the place and i every time i have come with a game i go through it and find oh there's a floor plan and yeah Mm -hmm. maybe it's a school and now turns into an office building or whatever it's yeah Mm -hmm. all those resources are out there if you just you know if you get hung up on the fact that i've got to be original gosh i've got to come up with all my own stuff you're gonna drive yourself crazy (laughs) (laughs) you know i one of the things that i've I, i i've been finding myself doing doing more and more when when the party goes to a location, some kind of place, I try to think of 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 a, a shut up dog. I'm try I try to think of a place that would uh, would serve a similar purpose that I've actually been to and know of, mm-hmm. and I just describe that place and just slightly modify for for you know genre appropriateness. But like mo- you know the strip mall by my house where the Vallarta grocery store is, mm-hmm. I've used almost every one of those storefronts. That I've been in. I haven't been in the Sally Ann's, but I've used. But the other ones, I've I've used them. You don't go to Sally's, Stu? No, I don't. They don't have. I don't, they, Where do you get your hair supplies? I've been there a bunch of times. Have you? Okay, then, then you could use that one, and I wouldn't even know. Yeah. But they, I think I caught you the other day, Stu, on, on the last vampire game we were in, uh, giving me. Uh, we were driving somewhere, and it was the route you take to work. Oh, it might have been. It might. Yeah. Oh, you know what? It was because it was. It was right off Valley Boulevard, just north of the seven ten freeway. Yeah. Because so I passed just, by there every every day. Just doing stuff that you know and makes sense. I think at one point I was running a game and I described my childhood home when they had to enter like an apartment or something, and I just because I I knew it in my head like what's on the left and what's on the right. Yeah, it's you just it's easier. It's a shortcut. Yeah, I did a lot of inspirational research slash stealing for getting ready for the traveler campaign. I just started running. And a lot of that was just like, I just want to look at deck plans and like sci-fi floor plans and things like that. And I would see something. I'm like, Oh, that looks really cool. That has to be a thing Mm -hmm. that goes in a different folder. Like, even if I don't know what it is yet, right. So I like that layout or I like the way that looks just like Um, your background. Okay. Yeah, just like my background. All right, there was like, hey, I just need to find something that looks like it's the inside of a space station. Oh, there we go. Mm-hmm. Um, and even when I was thinking about what the station would look like, because um, Yuma Station is going to be a big central part of it, I just started looking at different images, and that then sparked like, oh, I want it to be like this. This is how I want the layout to be. Um, but I think also part of that is then being open enough to when your players start filling in details, you've got room for them. Yeah. Right, not being so just like pedantically married to like, no, but my thing only has nine decks or whatever it is. Like, oh, oh no, if they want to go to deck 13, but there's a great story reason, but I guess yeah. there's 13 decks now. Yeah. Right. That's, that's what Mo was saying. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, yeah. It's a good point because if, you, if you're completely a slave to the source material, um, and it's even mentioned in the email, you're not allowing, you're going to end up railroading, you're not allowing anybody. Um, any freedom or any fun, and for the and for the story to move organically. So many times it's okay. I I think it's better to maybe take some concepts wholesale. Like I'm still sitting on an idea that I want to use in D and D or some sort of fantasy thing that's sort of a mashup between like Harry Potter and the X Men, mm. and 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 mm. by those two worlds being combined into one, I'm using that as sort of I don't know some of the rules of X Men and some of the some of the stuff that happens in X-Men as well as sort of the fantasy of Harry Potter. It could be a lot of fun, but I'm not being complete and total slave to a particular X-Men storyline. Mm-hmm. Just using it as a as a general sort of background sort of that informs this 
the world. Mm-hmm. Um, well, there's that, even it's really funny because you're talking about Harry Potter. I was reading a bunch of Harry Potter like thought process things, and one of them was concerning how people changed when they were near a Horcrux. And I was like, oh, it's a, that's such a that's such a smart little thing you could totally steal from Harry Potter, which is when you're near something, you're influenced by it. Mm-hmm. Right. And that becomes mm-hmm. a clue that people are like, oh, how come this character always, you know, is a jerk or whatever, you know, when we're in this certain place and let them kind of start figuring out what that is without it having to be the same mechanic, story mechanic. Everyone that more perception to see why John's acting so strange. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's John. Uh, but I think, I think there's so many, even just like like a small, like huge in the story there, but a small element really, right? Mm-hmm. Of proximity to specific items has a reaction, has an action to the character. Right? Like, oh man, that could that could just float into so many different things, um, and it doesn't have to be, you know, an original thought. To me, the big originality comes in what you do with it after you exactly. get it. Yep. I fell down the rabbit hole in college of realizing that most everything actually comes from a story in the Bible. So, like, Robin Hood is the story of D- David before he's king, you know, running from, mm-hmm. like, this guy who's a king but, like, a bad guy. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, Noah was the first prepper. So. <laughs> <laughs> the, does anyone, anyone have a favorite thing they like to steal story ideas from before we move to the second topic? Uh... I've stolen from a lot of different sources, but it tends to be pretty much pop culture and, you know, media. Uh, like I said, I told I stole directly from the Mission Impossible storyline, which mm-hmm. harkens to the email, like he said. There's so many great sources on television for murder mysteries and, and anything that you can completely... Even the premise of Rockford Files would make a great Savage Worlds game, you know? Just the idea of, like, you guys are all down in your, like, detectives, <laughs> and you get hired for some weird mystery, go. Right. Mm-hmm. I think I like to always find something that's in a completely different genre and grab something from that. Yeah. Right? So, like, I wanted to run Traveler, but I'm like, but I don't want to run Super High Tech Traveler, and I don't want to run Star Wars. I'm like, oh, I'm going to run a Space Western, which is its own genre anyway. But now I can <clears throat> pull from those tropes, and they make sense. Um, and it's just, it's, I've done that, too, in, uh, like, having modern-day stuff and grabbing fantasy stuff. Right? Like, I like to grab from different genres. Because um, then it can just, it doesn't have to be a specific story or it can just be an element, mm-hmm. right? Whether that's, um, like that was, see if you remember when when we used to live together, back in the days when we lived together. Um, I, we, I had that post-apocalyptic setting that was in Utah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember that. And, and it, so it was like near future, you know, Mormons were survivalists, whole thing. But there was magic, mm-hmm. right? Like that was like, that was a real thing. Um, and that was the reaching over to the fantasy thing and saying, I just want, I just want there to be magic. And, uh, and it's, then it lets you just do all kinds of interesting stuff that nobody expects. I think for me, uh, mostly TV and comic books. So like definitely a, a majority comic books. Uh, if it's just ideas for characters a lot, like if, especially like NPCs, I generally grab comic book characters and I just like reskin them a little bit. But I'm sure you're all shocked that Wonder Woman appears a lot in my games. <laughs> it's very unbranded. I've never run into Wonder Woman in any of your games. <laughs> no strong female characters or strong non-male no, characters. Oh, that's true. <laughs> Do you have a favorite Mo? Um, yeah, I just kind of steal willy-nilly, mm-hmm. like games, comic books. Um, old TV. Like, I, I like subverting expectations. And so, like, for me, I like to start with something that looks very mundane and then kind of kind of expose that, you know, things aren't as they seem. So, for me, I'm just always looking to subvert expectations. Right. Yeah, and it's, al- it's always funny how you can start somewhere. Like, you say, I'm just going to borrow this trope and then it changes. Like, when I first started with the whole freak show thing that I did all those years ago at, um, at the cons, the Savage Worlds, I really started out wanting to run Big Trouble in Little China. Mm. But I couldn't figure out a way to make a bunch of people fit because really mm. it's just it's about Jack, you know? And then one thing led to another, and the next thing you know, I ended up with freak show. But it really came out of me trying to run Big Trouble in Little China or a version of it, something like that. And I think um, 
build you once tried to do warehouse 13 as a yeah i for at cons i ran um oh uh, that's what uh, that was based on yeah i ran fact which was <clears throat> uh which basically was set in world war ii was the setting and you were all agents and it was totally like a warehouse 13 rip because every set every session i ran every one shot was you going to try and get an artifact and bring it back so yeah it was that combination of like the huge warehouse at the end of Indiana Jones and Warehouse 13. Now, was it... Erica, oh. the Warehouse 13, there was another show that was kind of like that. Friday well, the 13th? There was was Friday the 13th. the 13th. That's yeah, it. that was great. There was also the librarians. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah which right. is a very, yeah. very similar plot. Like, I just love the idea that, all right, now everything's lost. You got to go find it. And all the lost stuff is dangerous. Right. <laughs> yeah. Friday the 13th was like, I the movies were like, okay, because I'm a massive like, horror movie fan. But, man, that series was super cool. Yeah. Like, that had some great ideas in it. And also, I've been watching Eureka, which is fantastic, because oh, yeah. I never watched it. Before and so I, that's, that's been like Kimmy did the whole Star Trek thing. Like, I never want to see these. I don't watch all these. So I've been watching right. what show did I never see? And Eureka is great. And I did not know it was the same universe as Warehouse 13. Yeah, no because shit. I'm watching like season three or something, and then it's like, wait a minute, why do I recognize this character? Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, because they're from Warehouse 13, and they reference it. And I'm like, god damn it! Just the door. Watch that again. There's also a crossover with another show, I think, at some point, and I've forgotten what it is, but yeah. That there's like three worlds that converge in that show. It's weird. Very meta. Yeah. What did uh, Eric- do? Oh, yeah. uh, no, I, oh, I, I was going to say, Kimmy. What, what did Eric Odd say? Eric Odd said, "For me, I repurpose adventures and such from other games. I've run a D and D adventure in Star Wars Saga Edition, etc." Oh, it's good. Good plan. I, I, I like the idea, and I steal from other people when they're talking about what they steal from. Um, <laughs> but when Stork mentioned Mission Impossible, the old TV series, not the series of films where people are mm-hmm. constantly running right. on top of rooftops, oh. that would be a fantastic source to use to, to have like a just a total mindfuck on the party. Have yeah. them be the target of one of those Mission Impossible scams that they do. Oh, yes. think, people who aren't familiar with the show, basically they're the MI... What is it? Are there a team or a force? I don't remember. The IMT, I am force, impossible missions force. And and they, they basically come up with these brilliant scams where they're masters of disguise and they create false rooms and they go in mm-hmm. and, and d- just completely construct an entire reality and then have their mark co- go through it to do whatever it is they're going to do by the end of the episode. And yeah, they, like, they, a- they were inceptioning people before inception. Yeah, well, yeah, uh, they were. It was a total psyops team, and yeah. it was it yeah. really they ended up gaslighting the entire uh, mark, the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And the whole idea was, if if they were found out, if anybody realized that they, what they were, they would be completely disavowed, and the game yep. the, was up. And they would show up, and then they would just disappear again. It was the thing very loved, cool. The thing I loved about the premise too was that um, basically uh, whoever was running the op right would have this these file folders and we go through them and was choosing people for particular skills or mm-hmm. abilities because they had the whole like scam in their head already. Right. And they were like, I need someone who could do this. I need someone who can do this. Right. And they all had like very specific components to play, which is brilliantly similar to if I'm trying to plan something for my party and I'm like, I want to make sure everybody has a spotlight moment. Right. Right. I want to construct something that takes each of them into account. That's very much how that series was built. Uh, come on, now that you're bringing it up, doesn't it remind you of, say, Ocean's Eleven? Ocean's Twelve? Oh, yeah. Or even well, Lesson I mean, Nikita? It, it came out during that whole Pulp series. Um, I don't know if you read the uh, Richard Stark novels, mm. but um, or Donald Westlake, but you know you could buy these books for a buck each, and they had the most circumtuous you know, plots Love in them. It. Love it. But I like Mission Impossible because killing people isn't an option. Never. Right. You know, it undermines the success so it's like you really have to think and you know for some gamers they like that and some gamers it'll constrain them and make them be creative well that's what we did with the mission in Bartable. It's like uh, there was one guy at the table who realized that they weren't going to be able to kill anybody and he said I have to kill someone and so he did on their way out the door he shanked somebody but that was the whole thing like you get in and you get out and nobody's supposed to know you were even ever there yeah I'd, I'd love to either that's a great idea to so like have them be the target of that yeah. and then like them 
figure it afterwards. Like Leverage is another great series. Oh yeah, that did that, right? Just like, or, or even, or even if you want to get real pulpy, A Team, right? <laughs> <laughs> to come in and like, Except, here's a problem to solve. They weren't very subtle. There were explosions everywhere. It's when more you like have the Tom a, Cruise. When you have Chrome M16s, <laughs> you are not subtle. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the thing: if they're going to be the target of an Inception or a Mission Impossible, what is their plot? Because the players have to have a thing that they're trying to do while they're being undermined. Right. Well, that's. It seems like you could look at kind of like what one of their big goals is. There's something they're trying to find or achieve, whatever it is, and then your your BBEG, you know, or someone's like ah. I'm going to get something out of them because I know I can walk them down a garden path. They're going to be more mm-hmm, mm-hmm. likely to fall into my manipulations because ultimately they want to get the foozle. And then at the end, not only do they not get the foozle, but their you know, main enemy has gotten a bunch of information from them or whatever it is, right? Yeah, they show up at the castle and it turns out it was just a rented warehouse and it's empty now. And they were like, what? Mm. There was a prince here last week. What? Yeah, because to me it's also what is the... What are the, what is what are they trying to get from the party if you're doing it that way, right? right. Like what's this? What's the operation against them trying to merit? Uh, you know, figuring out what the players want is almost easier. It's more like a, what what I want to get from the players that they wouldn't want me to have and be really upset if I got it. Right. Or DGMing. Another great example yeah. is uh, the movie The Sting. You know, where they set up an entire operation to gaslight one dude. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, thank you, Dave and DC, for the email. The next email, uh, Artificial Gravity, Bears, and Other Stuff from Andreas. I will start this, and then I will randomly pick someone to continue reading it. <laughs> oh, no. What, is, what have we started? What have you? That's, is, I'm blaming you, Kimmy. <laughs> it's fine. It's okay. <laughs> Hi, Kurt and crew. It was a sad day. Andreas. Wait. Is this not from Andreas? Did I like write yes, the wrong? Andreas, it, it is. It is. It's, 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 okay. it's, it's, uh, it's very meta. Because I've it's done that, that before. <laughs> it, oh, maybe he's making fun of me for confusing them. Um, <clears throat> uh, has kicked the bucket, and that bear in the woods was to blame. But as we all know, there's a surplus of Kurt in Happy Jack's community, so a new Kurt stepped forward. <laughs> we have a lot of Kurts. Um, yes. A few episodes ago, Stu Kurt talked about artificial gravity and how it would not surprise him if it was indeed invented for Star Trek as they could not afford to film people with on wires all the time. Now, it turns out that trope is older than that. H.G. Wells, in his stories, had a material with a negative gravitational force which could be used as plating to provide anti-gravity to crafts. That's awesome. That's 19th century, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, in science fiction stories, in books and magazines from the 1930s, uh, it's actually not uncommon with belts and boots that confer anti-gravitational effects to their wearers, and that is the common way for the trope for a long time. But if you want to really bring in it into the form of TV and film, there's also a German TV series, Rampatrulli. Orion. Did that sound like a German accent when I said it? No. I mean, no. yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and there's a link. <clears throat> a German Shepherd. Which premiered... Which premiered at the same time as Star Trek. Maybe it was something about the 60s. Probably Nine days afterwards. I went and researched really? this after reading this. It's crazy. Star Trek... Right, the original Star Trek, 1966, mm-hmm. came out on September 8th, and then on September 17th, this Rum Patrouille, whatever it is, Rum Patrouille uh, Orion, Patrouille, um, yeah, <laughs> the fascist station Abenteuer des Raumfahrts Orion, which means Space Patrol: The Fantastic Ventures of the Spaceship Orion. That's the translation of it. Okay, and I went and watched the first damn episode on YouTube. Oh, too. Wow! Oh, no kidding! It is fascinating because all of my personal mentality around sci-fi of the 60s is star trek right and i watch you watch this and it's like oh this is all european design everything's rounded edges Mm -hmm. as opposed to like sliders 
which was the very Star Trek-y thing. Right. They have these, like, long, like, the shafts with with, with chrome, like, gear shift ball, balls, and there's, like, seven of them sticking up, and they're, like, really finely made. It's, like, crazy. And they're, they actually, um, to get super nerdy for just a second, and I apologize, but... Um, you're on a nerd podcast, I'm, and you're I'm apologizing gonna... <laughs> for being nerdy. No, this is, like, this is, like, hyper nerdy, right? Because the whole thing's shot in black and white, which makes it a little different. But then there's an underwater casino and a spaceport where they're shot using the Schufthan process. And that is the way they filmed the film Metropolis, which was a very specifically a German mm. way of filming where they use mirrors to basically overlay a big image into another scene. So in the underwater casino scene, which, by the way, has amazing social dancing from their version of the future. It is, it is <laughs> okay, i got to watch this now. You've got to watch yeah. it. It's so ridiculous. <laughs> They're there, and then where it looks like the the glass would be, it looks like they just took f- like film footage of like fish in a big fish tank. There's these supposedly giant fish that are just like betas and stuff. It's <laughs> swimming up there. And it's so fascinating to see how they solved all those problems of putting on a TV show about the far future in 1966 compared to Star Trek. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, I was like just captivated. It's like, Oh my God. And then, and their choices for uniforms and haircuts and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. Just my glasses. In black and black and and white. (laughs) So for something completely different, Kimmy, I'm sorry. I was looking at the YouTube page. This is fair. (laughs) (laughs) You guys uh, at YouTube. I'll something read it. about the sixties. Okay. You said was that where you ended? <laughs> Why am I, I the worst at this? I love the way Tappy. That's where you start. Oh, I love the way Tappy Kurt is thinking about his game's idea, where the mechanics are fun in itself, and the thespian improv is not the point. I think we sometimes get way too focused on that part, and it is often considered a more advanced way to play, or even adult for that matter. There is a great conversation going on right now and John, uh, as John Peterson has released his book, The Elusive Shift, um, on how these two cultures developed and as seeing RPGs as theater or game. It's clearly a divide that has been there from the start. And I think it should, uh, we, we should emphasize more the diversity in what RP, an RPG can be. I love, I'd love to see Tappy Kurt take this idea on and create something playable. I applaud the effort. If that was uh, more exposition than, uh, than food for thought, here's a direct question for you. I am a huge fan of Western movies. I love that setting for RPG adventures. But just like some other historical settings, there's baggage. It's impossible to ignore the fact that the myth of the West is built on murder and exploitation of the First Nations peoples. And uh, few games, uh, if any, approach that fact. So how would you take on that issue? Just don't play in the Old West at all. Focus your game on those murdered people instead. Have a serious talk before the game and then move on. Something else. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that one. I have my own approach, but it's not free from issues either. Uh, as that w- uh, was a topic that can make you sad, take a drink. Kurt may take water if he wants. And the other Kurt can take a drink, uh, can drink a Diet Coke. Does not have to be beer. Now, I wonder why there haven't been songs at the end of the episodes for some time. I miss the days of yore where I wanted to see what song Stu Kurt had picked for that episode. Take care, everyone. Kurt of Sweden, uh, artist formerly known as Andres. I answered that very quickly um, because it, it causes it, it causes issues with YouTube because all that all that music is is licensed, and even though some of it you are, own the license, you own the license for it. It still causes it still causes problems, so that's why. But all those songs are available if you want to listen to them. Oh, so. Pretty much everywhere. Yeah, go find them. Yeah, it's it's crazy, right? Like that whole thing right now. I I, I told Kimmy, I said I want to have a theme song for my traveler game for Yuma Station. So I went out and licensed something specifically. <laughs> I told Kimmy, like, oh, I'm going to give you a copy of the license, and I'll have a copy of the license, and then if anybody complains. We can show that we actually license the music. Yeah. Right? But that's, yeah, that's a stupid problem right now where it yeah. doesn't even matter if you, if it's your song. And, and, the, pro- and the, the problem is now <clears throat> is there are people who are squatting on stuff they don't have the right to, the rights to. Mm-hmm. I had that happen with a, a music video 
I made just kind of experimenting, and I used a clip that I knew for a fact, because I got it off of Wikimedia, it was old enough to, to be out of copyright. It was in public domain. And I used a couple of, a couple of um, like, little bits of the scene interspliced with other stuff, and some guy said, oh, I own the copyright to that. And I fought it, and I was able to get them to, to release it, so this guy wasn't getting ad revenue for the stupid mm-hmm. video I did. But it, it took me, it, it was probably a, an hour-long process to do that, because I had to go back, find where I found it originally, send them links to it, saying this is what the guy said he got. But there's people out there who are doing that, and, and just, I, I don't know if they're making any money at it or not, but fuck them. Maybe we should add a page to the website that is links to all the songs. Oh, yeah. You could do Because they're talking in, in chat uh, about um, where can they find You Cannot Be a Ninja. And I don't think you have that I one. haven't. I, I, it's not finished. I have to finish that, that opus. <laughs> it's not okay. done. I only Poor did. This artist is not done. <laughs> yeah, I haven't gotten to the best part yet. Where's um, the, I haven't even gotten to the denouement. <laughs> Can I take a swing at the the main question that we read a minute ago? Yes. Okay. So this is something that's kind of been batted around right now, and it's pro- it's something that's ever evolving in the RPG scene right now. Um, I I've been looking into it a lot as someone who's starting to write games more, um, and I actually just went through the process of I was writing a game um, about mystical creatures from around the world, and I talked with a lot of. Um, like uh, cultural sensitivity consultants and things like that, um, decided to change the nature of that game because of the information I was given. Um, the biggest thing is you need to kind of decide, like the way I would approach it. If you really want to play something that's in the old west, um, up you know upfront, talk to your group. There absolutely has to be a conversation, mm-hmm. absolutely a hundred percent. And what most people tend to do is say, "Hey." Um, you know, the Old West is super problematic. There's a lot of issues there. Um, we want to play in elements of the Old West, not and I don't, but we don't want to include this part of it. Not in a way to erase, like we absolutely acknowledge the awful things that happened, but simply because we don't want to inflict more harm or gamify the pain of the people of the past. Um, there are some people who don't agree with that. There are some people who say no, like, you just shouldn't play in that type of game at all. Like, there is, you know, just that's why, you know, kind of wiping the troubles of the past away, um, and, you know, there are people who do take issue with that, too. So it takes multiple conversations. Talk first with your players about what they're comfortable with. Um, you know, there's a lot of, if you look online, there's a lot of um, forms you can fill out, like Google Forms you can fill out pre-game to find out what people's comfort level is bef- eh, anonymously. So they fill out a Google Form, you get the data on the back end saying, oh, three people out of five people said they were not comfortable with, you know, um, just wiping the slate clean, maybe we should find a different setting for this game. Things like that. Um, so that's the first thing. But you absolutely have to acknowledge that it happens. Just being like, oh, you know, we, we're playing in this setting, and we're, but we're just not going to do any of that. Like, is isn't enough? Like, you have to, you have to really realize that that is a part that is kind of an inextricable link from the old west, and you have to figure out as a group how you're going to acknowledge that. Are you going to write in the railroads? Okay, well, those railroads were built in really problematic ways. And a lot of people were seriously harmed by it. You know, not that's not even getting into the First Nations and things like that. And that happens with a lot of uh, a lot of historical settings. Um, and I say that like we're a group of people who really loves history. We're you know most of us Rainfair nerds, stuff like that. So we like playing in those types of historical settings. Um, so yeah, you, you definitely have to acknowledge it. I'm sort of babbling on. If you look at um, uh, games written by um, you know people of color, um, indigenous people, things like that. Um, actually, Coyote and Crow is a game that's kickstarting right now. Um, absolutely fantastic. Um, it's not a historical setting, but it's a like uncolonized future that comes from First Nations people. It's written by First Nations people, um, and they have a whole section that they've kind of written and made public saying. You know, because people are like, hey, this is a fantastic game. I want to support it. But I feel a little weird running it since I'm not an indigenous person. So they have a whole section of of how to handle it and how they've handled it with that game. Um, so definitely look towards games like that that have a section written by 
the people who are hurt by colonization about how to do it uh, appropriately because and, and and adapt that into gameplay no matter what system you're running. Um, that's a really important step there is to kind of listen to those people who are harmed and really kind of uh, um, uh, adapt from their words what what is appropriate. Sorry, um, that was a rant. <laughs> I just... Like I, I feel bad because I'm I'm gonna recommend another game that is not out yet. Haunted West mm-hmm. by Chris Bybee. Kind of sought to do a lot of the similar stuff. Um and you know, just feel free to like I like what Haunted West is doing because it's the idea that, you know, those people who were killed and mistreated, um, they are still among you and <laughs> there are consequences for what happened. <laughs> um I think that's a pretty cool premise to start on and, you know, gives me a lot of imagination if I were trying to run a game like that, you know, before the source book's even out. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think that Kickstarter's delivered yet because it hasn't showed up in my mail. Mm-hmm. Um, and another thing you may want to look at is just um, there are a lot of people doing a lot of work kind of excavating kind of what the West was really like. A lot of people don't know that the, the Lone Ranger myth was really based on a black guy named Bass Reeves, who, you know, was a dead shot, who rode a, a horse named Goldie and not Silver, and, you know, um, worked with the whites and worked with the Native Americans and First Nations people. So, you know, I think it sounds like maybe you want to play something a little more political, um, where kind of just killing people doesn't resolve problems. And you know, just I think if uh, you put enough energy into it, you guys can have a really good game. And, you know, you have the opportunity on the horizon that some great resources are coming out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, another one, because I've played a good amount of Deadlands, right, or, over the years, yeah. is they made an alternate history, mm-hmm. right, which did some things. Mm-hmm. Now, interestingly, they still had problems with it. And in uh, 2019, Shane Hensley, who created... Savage Worlds and Deadlands went back and retconned the Confederacy in their game world, so the Confederacy lost the war and is no longer a playable faction. Mm-hmm. Um, so you That's know that good. was part of their history, and as you know, and he wrote, he wrote the game a long time ago, and now is hopefully we've been evolving as people, right? He you know made the decision that he's going to ditch the CSA and uh, and that he made it very clear, like that was his decision, his decision alone. Right. Like, and I love the fact that when he talked to people about it, you know, he told them, he's like, I want to just avoid the discussion of why I did it. And, you know, I was like, first of all, it's my game and my world, so I can do it. But he's like, but I have a master's degree in political science and military history. I've read dozens, but like, you know, this is his jam. Right. And he's like, you know, I've written historical miniatures rules. I was raised in Ohio and Virginia. He likes like He's basically laying down like I, this is who I am a part of. And it's not OK. Yeah. Right. Um, and so I think, you know, not saying like I, I love certain things about the Old West. I love certain tropes of it, but I don't love all of what it was creating your own version of that, which then can address those things and talking to, and, you know, can be a great part of that, right? It's always a conversation too, like telling your players, here's why my world is different. Yeah. Because I don't want to represent those things here. Right. Yeah. And I think we see that a lot in even fantasy games, right? Where people are yeah. like, yes, there's no gender division. Doesn't, it doesn't matter. Anybody can be anything. Mm-hmm. Or even now, um, if, if you're on Twitter, super Dylan, um, put this amazing rule set together to have wheelchairs in D and D and Oh my God, the Fuhrer that sparked off or people are like, well, you would never be able to have a wheelchair. And I like, oh, right. But my Manticore riding orc is perfectly fine. <laughs> someone in a wheelchair. Yeah. That's just nuts. Right. So, you know, it's all about accessibility and inclusion and looking at where the problems were and just being upfront and addressing them. I've wanted to write, um, a an old west. Basically, I want to use like the traveler rule set to make characters and stuff, but do an old west setting and have some mystic stuff in there, whatever it is, and not deadlands or something else. And I, this was the first thing I started thinking of. I'm like, oh, I really love this setting, and like, it's so problematic. 
So, uh, you know, more than more than anything, Kurt, um, you know, good good on you for recognizing that it's a problem and mm-hmm. trying to figure out how to deal with it as opposed to like, oh, well, I guess that's how things were. So that's mm-hmm. what we're going to do because yeah. um, that's uh, we don't need to do that. No, absolutely not. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think what what the game I ran. I think it was at the. Oh shoot! What was the name of that game? The big blue monkeys from outer space. Um, I came up. Oh, Vast Dominions. The Vast Dominions. Right. Set. Oh. <laughs> the game you wrote. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, in in that one, we had we had we had a discussion about whether or not because because in the in the rules. There's factions of troublemakers, and one of them is the women's suffrage movement. Mm-hmm. Obviously, troublemakers is in quotes, is in facetious. Yeah, yeah. But um, and and I, we had a discussion before the game started. Do we want to make that ask that that a part of this game, or do we want to just not have that in the game? And the and the the consensus was to not have it in the game at all. Yeah, but and, I played a game. I I did a test of that. Where I like really was interested in playing that, mm-hmm. like the upstart suffragette who like was like making shit, like you know setting shit on fire and making thing- a change. So that was so it's interesting because like there are some things like that, and I think the women's suffrage movement I think is a, a kind of a pristine example because while there was like really terrible shit that went down, um, like it 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 was not necessarily to the level of many other things that would, you can, you know, handle really badly in the wild West, especially, you know, the treatment of Asian and uh, black people and the indigenous people like genocide is different than not letting people vote. Yeah. <laughs> and don't forget the Mex. don't forget Mexico. Exactly. We, we stole, absolutely. We stole a good uh, 10% <laughs> oh, yeah. of Mexico. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Oh man, those borders bounced around. Yeah. They actually teach all that. That's like fourth grade California history is like all of that. There's pretty much anybody besides white men suffered in the Wild West. So all the above. Um, but so that's also something that you need to really kind of keep in mind. Um, if someone is of that group and is opting to kind of play out a power fantasy in a way, like that should be like, okay, but like, like really talk to them about where the comforts are, like have those lines and veils in place. Um and don't make that offer like in front of everybody. Like, let them opt in rather than pursuing that and asking them. Um, you know, it's not one of those things. It's like, do you know? Do you want to be the persecuted, angry woman? Well, well, no. When you phrase it that way, no, I do not. Thank you. Um, <laughs> but if you see it as an option, like, okay, like, hey, this sounds like cool. Um, to definitely have that, it, you should not let at least in my opinion you should not let people of other groups try and play that like i would have been very upset at the table even with people that i knew and cared about um like if bill had been in that game and offered to be like oh yeah i'm gonna be the upstart woman i'm gonna be the the suffragette well i'm sure it like would have funny elements to it like there would definitely be a part of me that as much as i love and trust bill and like he's one of my best friends and all this stuff like no i'm using it as an example because it's something you would not do um like that would be uncomfortable with that and so you just need to be really clear about those lines starting out too and i think to that point kimmy like when you're have in any game in any setting Right. Um, when you know that there are things in there that are that are difficult like this and somebody wants to lean into it mm-hmm. right? like, no, I want to play that type of character. Or I want to experience it. like you as a GM, you also need to find out why. Yeah, that is because we've all heard t- or most of us have probably heard Tyler's story. Oh, running fuck. Dead presidents <laughs> at a con and <clears throat> someone shows up the table who's like, oh, I can't wait to play this president. Because that president was super racist, and guess what? So am I. Yeah. And it was just like a nightmare yeah. for everybody. But like yeah, but that was Andrew the whole reason why he wasn't there. Was it Andrew you know, now Jackson? His I don't racism remember. was going to be validated. Yeah. Was it Andrew Jackson? I don't remember which president that was. Andrew Jackson. Yeah. Yeah, it was. I think it was. Yeah, kind of all nice of the guy. above, like uh, most of them. Like, yeah, just... Andrew Jackson really leaned in. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Uh, RPGM Sean in the chat was saying, uh, what about placing Wild West theme setting on a non-Earth environment where there are uh, real world dark history, where the real world dark history didn't occur? 
Um, that can be done. I think you need to be really explicit about that. Um, That's like, just... again, it still takes, like, handling it carefully. Um, and it's, like, things like Firefly. Uh, yeah, but you have to remember that, like, then there's a whole bunch of other stuff involved in that. So you kind of have to, like, deal with that. Um, if you want to have, like, pristine, like, Star Trek, where, like, nobody did anything wrong, and we just colonized this planet, and everybody's always been happy. Cool. Like, that's that's absolutely a thing. Um, uh, and, yeah, just plan it ahead with your, your group, because, I mean, if you, you're using Firefly as an example, that's, uh, like, the generation ships and, you know, a bunch of stuff, and, you know, not even going into the Joss Whedon stuff, but, like, kind of the appropriation of a lot of uh, Chinese culture and language and things like that. Um yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of, there's a lot there there to handle. So just kind of again, be careful what you're what you're stealing from, like referring to our first email, um, and just making sure that you're like really thoughtful about it and really thinking about the whole picture with it. All right. Anything anything else on this, or are we going to close it out? Going once, uh, going twice. Wild Wild West, the TV show, is the the mix of all of this. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. That's a great sci-fi show with with the old West rapper. It is so good. Not not the movie. Not the movie. Oh no. (laughs) Although I did like the giant, the giant, the giant spider thing. Sorry, (laughs) I did like the giant spiders. So Kimmy Wild West was a TV show before it was a movie. I don't know if you know. I gathered that a minute ago. I was gonna be cool, like I'd always known it. Yeah, it was actually cool. I thought it was just a movie that had Will Smith. That was uh, Robert Robert Conrad. Conrad. Robert Conrad and James Gardner. That's right. Yeah, Robert Conrad was was James West. Oh, was right. it Roderick and who? And was it was James no, it wasn't. Um, okay. Artemis Gordon was. Played, You're thinking of Maverick. Yeah, James Maverick Gordon. was that. Yeah, um, yeah. That's Artemis, another TV show. Artemis, Artemis Gordon was played by Ross Martin. <laughs> Got it. And he was sort of the uh, dis- king of man the of a thousand faces. And he was like right. a spy master. It, it was Mission Impossible in the West. It was. Yeah. It totally yeah. was. Yeah, yeah. They had like a super secret train they drove around on and they had all kinds of gizmos. and um, Yeah. Cool. All right. Great villains. Good yeah. stuff. <laughs> it was campy. It was fun. The best, the best part about that, and this is a great RPG thing too, is that it, it both solved the, they're going to travel all over the place mm-hmm. and have different settings, but they had a killer home base. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the most unique ones, I think. In like, it's that's my kid in the background. For you <laughs> Somebody's pot spoiling. He's like, it's eight oh seven at night, and I'm still awake. I, like, I think my um, dogs found a baby. Yeah, your dogs are like. Um, but their their home base was awesome because it was this like really luxurious train car that was just theirs, and so they could go anywhere. Like with the train, where the train could go, but they had, and they had all kinds of cool gadgets in yeah, it. Yeah, had like a lab, lab in and, it. And yeah, it had, but it was like, like their mobile shop. base that was yeah. just super swank. Mm-hmm. And I always thought that was such a cool idea. They had a team of people, they were like making weapons for them and everything, and it all was like in this, like train cars. Wasn't it, it a caboose? Was it a caboose? I think it was. Hey, now. I think it was a caboose. Because they had a different shape, didn't it? I thought there was more than one car. I seem to remember there was like the the big luxurious car that like yeah, I remember they would have their meetings in and then there was Yeah. I'm looking it up. It's very important. <laughs> Hold the end of the show, we have to know. It, it, it was the equivalent of Michael Michael Knight's uh, truck, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh no, it, it, James Bond, you know, it's one of his gizmo cars or it's something. It's got the it's I mean, got the right, wh- it was a mobile base. It's, cool. it's got the whistle stop balcony off the back. Other than that, it just looks like a regular drink car. Yeah. yeah. Okay, never mind. All right, I'm going to hit the music. Thank you for joining us for Season 28, Episode 6. Six of Happy Jack's Overview Podcast. My name is Stu. My name is Kimmy. Uh, I'm, I'm Bill. I'll be Bill. I'm Bill. I'm still Mo. Stork. <laughs> and we'll see you next week, 7 p.m. Pacific time, happychecks.org slash live, or listen dash live, apparently, is where it goes now. No, Thank you. No, listen dash live is fine. Slash live, not dash live. Slash live, yeah, not slash live. Look what you did. <laughs> and, we'll, and, th- and goodbye. We'll be there. Bye. And, and yeah. have a good day. <laughs> Bye.
We're all fine here. How are you? How are you? <laughs> Presentation of the Angry Folk Media Empire. Bum, bum, bum.